Thank you for tuning in to the best parenting show on the internet. Post Daily Dose. there post institute this is christy sell the co-founder coming at you live for another episode of post daily dose the best little parenting show on the internet i hope you guys are doing wonderful this evening of course before we get started i am want to plug these books real quick brian's book from fear to love that you can pick up on promotion at fear to love book Dot com. And we also have this incredible workbook. And I'm telling you, this workbook is incredible. And I did get some more progress made today, getting our uh, printing company lined up to be able to do print for us so that we'll have that in-house. In the meantime, you can get it on our website as an ebook, Or if you are in a hurry and ready to have it in your hot little hands right now, you can pick it up on Amazon uh, through their print on demand. So they'll print it for you, a personal copy, and send it straight to your house just as well. Then we also have Brian's book, The Great Behavior Breakdown. This book right here is a great little gem. Uh, it just goes deeper, you know, more stories, more real life stories, great, um, you know, just great stories about how the model gets applied and some incredible outcomes. On our website, we actually have both of these in a bundle. Um, where you can get them each for $10, and that's a pretty good deal. So if you're interested in picking up both books, go to postinstitute.com, and you'll find that bundle under our books. So for the month of February, I have been, uh, it's been all things love. Um, we started off talking about some uh, some post philosophies about love, uh, a couple of quotes from Brian. I'll just go ahead and tell you those right now. One, um, breathe deep. Breathe deep. Love will enter. Peace will follow. Breathing is a great, uh, it's it's like the first step to interrupting our stress cycle because when we are stressed out and overwhelmed, it causes our short-term memory to be suppressed and our thinking is distorted and confused. And part of that is because the first thing that we do when we are stressed out and overwhelmed is we hold our breath subconsciously. We just hold our breath. So I know people talk about, oh, so just breathe. Yeah, just breathe. I know. <laughs> you thought it was going to be so much more complex. But the thing is, the thing is, in moments of stress, remembering to breathe. Because until it becomes your habit, we continue to hold our breath. So I encourage people to do things like practice your deep breathing when you're doing the dishes or while you're sitting at your desk working or one of my favorites is to practice it when I'm running late because I am already stressed. And if I can practice deep breathing while I'm sitting at that stoplight, it will help me remember that all the stress in the world is not going to make that stoplight go green any faster. It will help me remember that unless I'm driving 100 miles, the fact that I'm driving 10 miles over the speed limit is not going to save me that much time and puts my family at risk. And so it just reminds me of all these very common sense, practical things when I can remember to breathe. And then it becomes more of a habit in other stressful times. So in fact, you can practice breathing to the point that when stress begins to take place in your body, 
that becomes your default, that you will actually begin to breathe in times of stress, which will help you be more effective in handling those moments. The other thing that we talked about as a post-ism is fear says fix it. Love says create an environment that is secure, that's predictable, be in loving relationship, and that is the recipe for people being at their best. So I see a few people getting plugged in and tuned in tonight. If anybody wants to say hi, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So then we went to uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and we have been picking that verse apart. And the reason I chose that is because so many people quote 1 Corinthians 13 when they think about love and what love means. And so last week and uh, beginning this week, today's only Tuesday, so we're still in it. So if you have an interest in going back and listening to the ponderings of elements of 1 Corinthians 13, I encourage it. The feedback has been really good that it's invited people to think deeper. And that's really what this is about. This is about us really, you know, we talk about all the love we have for our children You know, we talk about it quite a lot Um, and we may have love in our heart for our children, but sometimes our actions do not demonstrate the same love that we profess that we have. And I want to say hi to Joni and MB. Hello. Thanks for saying hi. I appreciate y'all being here. So we've talked about love is patient and love is kind and love does not envy, and love does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is, it is not self-seeking, and it is not easily angered. Um, boy, how many times do we lose our patience? How many times are we unkind and spew our stress on others? How many times do we dip into the blues and um, find ourselves grieving because we're envying other people, envying a life that maybe we dreamed was going to be our life. And the problem with envy is it takes us out of the moment. It takes us out of the out of where we've been planted and the purpose that we've been called to. Um, love does not boast. It doesn't draw attention. It doesn't take all the credit. It shares the credit. When we are boasting and being prideful, it's simply saying that we are feeling insecure about whether or not we're going to get credit for our good deeds. Ah, Rose says she got her book today. That is awesome. Well, hun, that came straight from my house to yours. So I'm so glad that it arrived safely. Um, When we talk about love is not self-seeking, it's talking about that we, the things that are sustaining are things that have concern for the whole whether it be the whole family, the whole community, the world, your country, that when we are trying to build things that are truly going to be sustaining, that we can't be doing that in a manner that's self-seeking, that we have to have the consideration of what is good for the whole at the heart of the things that we are creating. Love is not easily angered. How many times do we flip our lid? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Last night, I found that to be a really interesting topic, and I loved the feedback from you guys in terms of being vulnerable and real and just being able to share things like, you know, how often you flipped your lid or how often you've kept track of the ways you felt offended by your spouse or your child and how we've kept record of that. We talked about how even at the brain level, biologically speaking, that when we think about the record of wrongs, we 
our brains actually have a way of storing that information for the purpose of protection. But then I was also thinking about how, biblically speaking, there's a lot of talk of the renewing of the mind. And I know it's not just as simple as just think positive thoughts, but when you truly are actively working to choose one thought over the other, and I'll tell you that I've done that, um, having gone through big losses and having experienced some massive, massive feelings of depression, big, 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 big plummet into some very deep depths of despair that were uncovered, um, an early childhood abandonment wound that was organic um, and necessary because of the situation of my family when I was first born. And so one of the things that as I was working on that, working to find my way out of the depression, well, first it was working to find what is the message of this? What is this that keeps coming up, really shining the light deep into my own subconscious? And then it still kept coming up and coming up and realizing that I could truly choose one thought over another. And in doing so, I was creating a new neurological pathway. So it's not just about, oh, think positive thoughts. It is literally choosing one thought over the other in an effort to create a new neurological pathway. So it takes effort, it takes time, but it is definitely worth the effort. I will tell you that for sure. Um, so tonight, um, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. And what is the truth? What is even our truth? What is the truth about where the stories come that we tell ourselves? What is the truth about what our children really need? What is the truth about what's really most important? What's first things first? I think those are things worth asking yourself because what is true for you about those things versus what is true for your child about those things versus another truth, someone else's truth, it's all going to be different. But what I really found myself thinking about when I read that was just this really deep sadness of just how much we lie, period. Like everybody. Like from making up an excuse for why you're not going to go to work or why you're not going to go to the party instead of just saying, I don't feel like coming to the party tonight. Uh, we make up a story like, uh, because my child's sick or some other lie. It's a lie. It's just a lie. You know, why, why do we do that? Where did we get to the point in our relationships with one another that we have felt so not good enough in who we authentically are that we feel like we have to lie, even about things that in our minds we may think are small, like, you know, 
why I'm telling a lie about no, not going to work or why I'm telling a lie about not going to a get-together that I've been invited to. And then we think about how our children experience us telling these lies that we think of as small, polite lies to spare someone's feelings or something. But then they tell a lie and we get really upset with them. And so can you imagine how confusing that is to a child? But what I realize about lies is they all come from fear. All lies come from fear. Fear of not being good enough, fear of being disapproved of in some way, fear of having to, you know, go into a story deeper than what you feel like and having to be more revealing than you want to because they may ask questions and we haven't figured out how to say, I really don't feel like talking about it. I just wanted to be honest with you and tell you the truth. Why? What has happened? And then, I mean, I'm just talking about some things that are kind of simple, in, so to speak. And then I think about, uh, you know, all of our time on the internet and all of the fake profiles and trolls and people who just lie. Like, they lie about who they are. They lie about what they think, how they feel. They're like, what in the, what in the Sam Hill is going on here, right? But let's talk about, because lying is such a big deal for our families and for our children. And I think that the fear we have as parents is if our children lie to us, what do we know to believe? And where do we step in to advocate for them and to protect them when we're not sure what the truth is? Because sometimes they've lied. Or maybe they are lying about the situation that is concerning. And so um, I actually decided, one, I put a link in the, in the um, description for this really great ebook that Brian wrote. Actually, Brian and I wrote that together several, several years ago. It's $3.95. So if you want to pick up the ebook so you have it there in your hot little hands, on your device, able to read it, it's really valuable. And I think it will really awaken your sensitivity to why children, especially children who come from tough places, why they lie. So it comes from fear. And I've already mentioned about the fear that other people lie. How other people lie is usually because they don't want to disappoint someone. They're afraid of what the truth will do to their relationship. Um, and some people lie just because they're like to stir the pot. You know, they just, in the controversy is thrilling to them. You know, those warriors behind keyboards. Um, but Brian has this really beautiful formula for helping families where, who are raising kids from tough places when lying becomes an issue, which it often does. Um, the formula is pretty simple. Ignore the lie, but don't ignore the child. What? Ignore it? Are you kidding me? How can I ignore it? It makes me so angry. Oh, wait a minute. Love's not easily angered. <laughs> we get so upset. We get so upset. Because a lot of times we get upset because we've had people lie to us in the past. So then we have to look at our own blueprints about lying. So there's another piece of this. Like our upset feelings about our child lying. Is it really about our child lying and all those things that I just mentioned? Or do we have blueprints where there have been other people in our life who lied and it was devastating and we made promises to ourselves, these like, 
I'm going to lay my stake about lying and I'm never going to let anybody lie to me again. And I'm never going to put myself in a position to trust people because when I trust them, it hurts. And so we make these vows to ourselves and then we become parents and then we have to wrestle with these vows that we made because we have to figure out how to help our child be in relationship with us. So ignore the lie, but don't ignore the child. And I want to read this to you because the way Brian says it, I think, is extremely helpful. He says, um, the formula for helping children overcome lying is to ignore the lie, but don't ignore the child. Let me say this again. Ignore the lie, but don't ignore the child. When you ignore the lie, you are ignoring the child's fear and stress. When a child tells a lie, it comes from a place of sheer terror. Remember, and he references a story that he tells early, earlier in the book. Children with trauma histories lie because for them it is a life and death situation. These children believe that telling the truth will mean abandonment. The threat of loss is as real as loss itself. So you can imagine when you go to your child and you ask what happened to blah, 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 and they tell you a lie that right underneath that is sheer terror of abandonment. And they are in sheer terror in that moment because the fear of abandonment, the threat of abandonment, even if it's created in their own minds, is as real as abandonment itself. Ignore the lie. It's not that big a deal. Ignore the lie. They are way more important. Building this relationship is way more important. Ignore the lie, but don't ignore the child. So you can, you know, you we were talking yesterday in a in a um in one of the graphics about the state level of memory. You can just say, okay, babe, and then lick it, click it, and just put your hand on their shoulder, on their back, ruffle their hair, whatever, and walk away. Come back later, outside of that moment, and simply say, when you say things to me that aren't true, it really hurts my heart. And it also scares me because part of my job is to protect you and to take care of you out there in the world with other people. So I can't tell when I need to go tell the teacher in the school that they're wrong or when I need to help you in a different way. When you tell me lies, it makes me really sad and it makes me really scared. That's it. Ignore the lie. Ignore the lie, but don't ignore the child. There I'm addressing, when I do that, I'm actually addressing the entire situation because it's really not about whatever the lie was. It's about the fact that I have to have enough relationship with this child. I need for them to feel safe enough to be able to tell me the truth whenever possible. This one little formula has been repeatedly reported and I have also experienced using this formula repeatedly and it has been effective 100% of the time. Now, that also means that when your children start telling you the truth, even if they're very hard truths, 
that we need to honor that and respect that, we can say, wow, I really, I really appreciate you telling me the truth. That's a really sticky situation. Let's see if we can figure something out together. Because I want to be a parent. I want to position myself in my relationship with my child so that they come to me with hard stuff. Because I want to be there to guide them through it. I want to be the parent who knows. Some parents, you know, they position themselves in ways where by lots of rejection and and abandonment and emotional absence, that is putting yourself in a position to not know what's going on with your child, especially in their teens and 20s, when it becomes most imperative because they need our guidance the most then. But they're not going to come to you for guidance if everything has always been punishment and criticism and rewards and consequences when unconditional love is the theme of the relationship then they know they can bring to you hard situations, maybe even bad decisions that they made. It doesn't mean that I'm going to always agree with you, but you never have to go through it alone. And that's huge. That's huge for our children. So, love does not rejoice in evil, but it... Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with truth. The truth is, I do believe you love your children deeply. But we all have these blueprints of parenting that may not be very effective for raising your child who comes from tough places. So you're stepping into doing things differently. And that takes more effort. You know, just like they're learning new ways of doing and being with people. Well, so are you. Remember last night I said you're not... You're not your parents and your child's not you. They have different needs than what you had and that requires a different way of parenting. So tonight, if you've not already done so, set everything you've been worried about aside, everything, all the stress, all the teaching, all the fussing, all the racing worried thoughts, all the frustration, whatever it may be that's getting in the way of being able to just relate with your child. Just put a pause on all of that. You can come back tomorrow. That's not going to go anywhere. You can pick that up anytime. Set it all aside, though, for 30 minutes to an hour and go play with your kids. Let them choose what you do. Let them be the boss for a little bit. Let them tell you how to build the Legos. Let them tell you how to play Barbies and what make-believe you're going you're gonna to play. Wrestle around on the floor. Let them pin you every now and then and then flop them over and show them who's really the big king. <laughs> Lay around on the bed and watch a movie, read a book, whatever it looks like in your family. Spend time just loving them. Let them feel the love you have for them come from your entire being and let it shine from your eyes so that they know, even though there may be rough patches along the way, love never fails and that your love is unconditionally here, never waving, that you're not going to abandon them, that you're not here to reject them, but you're here to love them. And remember what Brian tells us in any given moment. We can act up our blueprints of stress and fear or overwhelm. Or we can take one to two to three deep breaths and we can choose love. Ah, much love to you guys. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Join us live on weekdays at 6.30 Central Time on Facebook at the Post Institute. Don't forget to get your copy of Brian's best-selling book, From Fear to Love, on promotion. 
Just pay shipping and handling at www.feartolovebook.com. That's www.feartolovebook.com.